do, do you at any point plan to talk about in any more detail what you mean by a mechanical explanation? Mechanical phenomenon of nature? I, I'm not conscious of having anything in particular to say about it, but I'm happy to be interrogated. And, and, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I think all I meant there, I, I think that was just intended as a colorful way of saying I want it to come from the physical laws rather than from metaphysics, you know, prior to the physical laws. Yeah, that's another distinction I don't quite understand. Okay, that's, well, that's, that, so that, that, that helped me a lot. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, trying to break down the distinction between physics and metaphysics, so I, I don't know how to apply it. I don't, I don't really know how to apply it. Well, that it comes from, it comes from, what I mean is, you get it just from the dynamical, you, you, I mean, I, I, on this issue, I take it, it's, a, it's not completely unclear to you. The, the, the distinction between, um, between taking directionality to be a feature of time itself and taking it to be something that emerges from the dynamical laws, say, plus the past hypothesis, plus the statistical so, I guess I do want to interrogate you on this as a question. I don't know whether you should start with that or you want to do something. Well, let me uh, let me start with I I want to I want to um, set the state of play a little bit. Okay, good. Have good. Last time. Well, maybe I, I mean we probably ought to. Where are we up to? Uh, we've given people four minutes. Yeah, we can start. Yeah. Um. So, so I think Tim and I both thought that things didn't get left at a, at a satisfying point last time. Um, and Tim got in touch with me over the weekend and suggested that we put Shelley off until next week um, and try to get clearer on, on some of the stuff we just made a very, very small beginning of discussing last time. So, um, Actually, so I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, so let me just, you know, we, as I said, we started with a partial syllabus because we didn't quite know where we were going. Uh, um, one of our original hopes was that Sean Carroll was going to come and we were going to talk about his work, and his work was involved with this question if you've got the past hypothesis okay but can you then embed that in yet a bigger explanatory project and sort of see that there's a physical explanation of it um, and that was why we got his book and intended to do it but it's clear at this point that with the time left we couldn't do anything like a decent job of understanding exploration, you know, you know, infinite, infinite inflation and bubble universes and quantum field theory and everything else that goes into these attempts. So I think we just decided we're going to let that go. We'll spend today and try to finish yeah. things we already started. Yeah, sort of stay on the topics we've right. been on. Right. David will talk today. Next time, Shelley will be doing some stuff, and then and then Michael Strevens want to talk about some papers he did on probabilistic explanation so we thought we'd just let him have the two weeks from now and I guess uh, and I guess that'll do it so so I, I'm sorry I guess that I 
suggested you buy Sean's book. It's a good book. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, things have turned out differently. I mean, if Sean had been coming, we would have pushed to cut this off and start that so, so he could come and give us a talk, but it just turned out he couldn't make it. So that's where we are. So, um, um, so let me, let me see if we can, if we can slog our way to a slightly better um, state of play as to where things were at the end of last time. Um, and then, of course, go on from there. Um, so look, um, this story about the billiard balls, um, this story that is about the logic of inference by measurement as opposed to inference by prediction or retrodiction, that is this story about the logic of inference from partial information about two times um, to a third time in between was aimed at making it imaginable and even understandable and even, I guess, plausible that the past hypothesis can account in a strikingly simple and perspicuous way for at least the, the schematic outlines um, of this very vivid asymmetry of our, uh, between our epistemic access to the past and our epistemic access to the future. Um, and the business of entertaining aspirations um, like that for this example or for sort of schematic expansions of this example um, elicited a number of worries and a number of objections, some from Tim and some from other people in the class. Um, and I don't think we got to a good understanding of where that left everything last time. So I want to see if if we can um, um, if we can do better with it um, this time. Tim helpfully wrote me an email over the weekend, sort of summarizing what his worries were about this. Um, and and then there were a couple of other worries that were raised in the class that I remember. And let me try to quickly say something about each of them and see where that leaves us. Um, and then we can go forward. So um, here's one thing that Tim says to me uh, in, in the email he sent. So I'm quoting him now. Um, Tim says, the past hypothesis will play an essential role in producing a physical account of these asymmetries of epistemic access, but all sorts of other considerations how the laws allow for the formation of stable objects, the statistics of various sorts of interaction, etc., will play an equally important role. Without all this detail, we cannot understand the relevant correlational structure that validates our inferential practice. And I see no way um, that just considering the past hypothesis and the statistical postulate provides much insight into what we need to explain. The past hypothesis and the statistical postulate could be allied with detailed laws and ontology that does not yield anything like the local correlational structure. For example, if we ally it with a dynamics in which solid objects just never form. Um, uh, we, we ally it with a dynamics that doesn't support the existence of solid objects. So on and so forth. Okay. Let's, um, I, this isn't, I, this isn't, I take it, Tim's central worry, but, but it's a worry that came up. Um, um, so let me just talk about this for a minute first, because I'm actually really puzzled by it. 
Um, um, there's, let me give an extreme case of how it strikes, of why it puzzles me, and then, and then a, another case which I think is less extreme and pretty closely analogous to the actual one. So the extreme case is, I don't know, you know, somebody's trying to explain the rise of Nazism in, in Europe in the 1930s, and they start talking about, uh, they start talking about, you know, the humiliating terms of the, of the armistice that ended World War I, and, uh, uh, and they start talking about, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, the invention of the bullhorn, um, so on and so forth. And somebody says, yeah, what about oxygen? And you say, oxygen? And they say, no oxygen, no Nazis. Am I right? <laughs> and you say, yeah, you're right. But, you know, of course you're right. And, and I guess we should also include oxygen here. But everybody is puzzled that somebody suddenly brings up oxygen um, um, in the middle of this conversation. Although there's no question about, it, you know, oxygen's being a logical prerequisite, the presence of oxygen in the atmosphere being a logical prerequisite of the rise of Nazism. So, and, and if you want to say why people are puzzled by somebody bringing up oxygen, even though it's no less logically crucial than, than these other matters, I, you know, you have some spiel about, about you know, conversational context or, or, or I don't know what, and, and you explain why, yes, but in the context of the conversation we're having here, this is really the thing that sheds light on the situation. Good. Um, and, and the business of saying, wait a minute, physics needs to support stable objects, seem to have a little of the flavor <laughs> of that. But let me, the funny let thing, me, hold on one second. I think you're the guy with the office. Okay, good. Let me be, <laughs> let me be, let me be a little bit more, let me be a little bit more precise. This is an example you were talking about in this very room a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, so, so, so people want to know why, uh, you know, so, so a certain peg doesn't fit through a certain hole, right? The peg happens to be square, the hole happens to be round, and somebody wants to know why the peg didn't fit through the hole. Um, um, and everybody seems to agree. Um, that it's an important component, at least within most conversational contexts, uh, of the explanation of why the peg doesn't fit through the hole, that the peg is square and the, and the hole is round. Here, of course, and, and this is why it seems much more analogous, here, of course, we need to add that the dynamical laws of physics are such, such as to support the existence of, of stable, solid objects, and so on and so forth. But I guess the thought is, yeah, we all knew that, and that, that's something that comes up in a much wider array of, uh, uh, of explanations and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so maybe I'm missing something there, because it feels like, um, I mean, it goes without saying that I didn't mean to imply that the inference by measurement stuff, together with the past hypothesis and the statistical postulate, amounts in and of itself to a logically complete explanation of the asymmetry of epistemic access. I guess the idea was that in the sort of conversational context we were having here, um, the, the, the stuff about logic of inference and the past hypothesis and the statistical postulate plays 
the same kind of role in that explanation that the geometrical considerations play in the explanation of the thing not fitting through. Now, maybe, well, so so that this, that's my puzzlement about that remark. Good. So, okay, okay, so let me say, because it, it is funny, when you gave this analogy to oxygen, I, I was honestly thought, I, I, I knew what the oxygen was. Um, <laughs> I thought the oxygen was the past hypothesis. Right. Okay. That is it, uh, exactly the character of my worry. But okay. with, you know, right. and, that, and that the tree ring stuff was the bullhorn. Well, so let me, right. let me all the details of plant biology. So let me say what gives rise to the intuition that it's the opposite. Okay. We're looking here to explain a time asymmetry. Yeah. In the dynamical laws, there's none of that. Yep. Okay. Um, so so. Now, the particular kind of time asymmetry we're looking to explain is one that applies to things like records and so on and so forth. Um, so, of course, you need records. So, of course, you need a dynamics that supports the existence of stable, local, you know, arrangements of matter, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but somebody says, here's where, here's given the context of things that we're all likely to assume to take for granted in such a conversation, here's where the time asymmetry is coming in. Okay? That's what made it seem more like talking about the terms of the armistice than talking about the oxygen. Am I getting something wrong there? Uh, okay, the, so there's a second, I mean, just let me say a little bit more of what was in this email I sent to David. Um, um, I mean, there was a lot more which I'm going to talk about. Yeah, that, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, um, here's, let me just do this. So, so there's an asymmetry, we agree that there's asymmetries in our epistemic access to the world. Right. Um, we often characterize that asymmetry in, there are different ways to characterize it depending on how detailed. You could say, look, here's an asymmetry. We know a hell of a lot more about the weather here five years ago than we know about what the weather will be here five years from now. Right. Um, sometimes we just say, well, we know a hell of a lot more about the past than about the future. Um, that's clearly that's, too crude. That's, that, yeah. that, that, that's too crude, right? Right. Um, um, the, the rhetorical stance would say, well, here's one way we could know about the past, which is by retrodiction. But of course, what we all agree is not merely that that, as it were, gives us a little bit of our knowledge of the past, but not much. What we think is that it, it, it's not as if our knowledge of the past is, is a superset of what retrodiction tells us. Right? We have to throw out the vast majority of what retrodiction tells us. We have to positively right, reject it because it's getting it. Well, I mean, formally world. speaking, you do get it from the retrodicted stuff by means of a conditionalization. Right, but what you, but you meant by right? you're yeah, yeah, following yeah. your definition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take the present state, right, put the right. measure on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See what probably. No, but I mean, in that sense, it is a, uh, this a quibble. It probably yeah, doesn't yeah. mean anything. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, um, so then the question arises. Now, I mean, the, the way the rhetoric is set up is here are two models. There's the measurement model, which requires something beyond knowledge of the present state. Right. There's the retrodiction model in the original thing, which doesn't. Right. We all look at that and we say, look, the retrodiction model is just not a model of how we know anything about the past, right? I mean, maybe I, a good time. Th th this is probably yeah, not, probably is a good model of how we know about past positions of the planets, say, or something well, like that. Or at least it would yield that. It would yield that, although right. once you do what you need to do, right. you'll use that just right. as well. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Go sure, to this sure, thing. sure, right, sure, right, sure. Right, right, right. Okay. And then we sort of had on the table this other model, and the other model requires this two time 
as it were, knowledge of two times in the sandwich store. Right. right. And if you just looked at that, you'd say, oh, now I see why there's, in a certain sense, more knowledge about the past, because I've got right. the extra knowledge is in the sandwich, and if right. one slice of the sandwich is here and the other slice of the right. sandwich is here, Good. the extra knowledge has to Good. lie between the two slices. Good. Good. Okay, that's what I understood to be the big picture. Right. Okay? Right. So what occurred to me is that just there are other, you know, that first of all, there are other possibilities than this which just haven't been discussed. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the tree ring case was a case where... Right, no, I'm going to talk about the tree ring right. case. In and, and the other worry was, was this. Um, there are cases where even if I conditionalize on the past hypothesis, I still have more knowledge of the future. I have reliable knowledge of the future and not of the past. Sure. You mean in the case of the frictional right. uh, slide? So, so the, right. the, the example was take a take a you know a real billiard table with friction, right? With felt, not a not a uh, frictionless table, and imagine the present state is that you have a ball that's at rest on it, and suppose you know or are assuming or you're just making conditional prediction, if nothing from the outside, you know, you've got a locked room. If nothing from the outside comes in over the next five minutes, can I predict what's going to happen? If nothing came in over the last, over the past five minutes, can I predict what it was like five minutes ago? Right? And conditionalize on the past hypothesis. Right? right? Don't do this from the present state. Right. Right? And there the answer is, well, no, you know it's just going to sit there for the next five minutes and you don't know whether it was moving five minutes ago and came to rest within the last period or not. Sure. Right? And that's... I mean, but of course, as you, say, as you say, anybody, I mean, one maybe can understand psychologically the impulse to characterize the epistemic asymmetry as we know more about the past than about the future, but that's way, way too crude. Right. Um, um, we've given more detailed accounts than that of what the right. asymmetry actually consists of, that towards the future prediction will work you know, that towards the past, it'll radically fail. Right. Um, um, and, uh, uh, okay, I, 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 I don't think we're deeply no, no. disagreeing. So, so, I mean, just the way I put it was, you know, what our actual predictions are made not even on the present whole macro state, but local features of the present macro state. Right. What allows those pre predictions and retrodictions to be accurate and reliable is a correlational structure in right. the actual history of the universe. Right. And what we're pointing out is that that correlational structure exhibits all kinds of time asymmetry. Right. Exactly right. right. Exactly. So we agree that that's the target to be explained. Good. Right. And the, the, the question is, the question is how much of the work is being done by right. the past hypothesis? Right. Again, on my picture, the past hypothesis is like the oxygen. Right. It's telling me, okay, um, the history of the universe actually obeyed the laws of thermodynamics. Uh-huh. Even though if I used retrodiction, I would say, no, it didn't. It mm -hmm. obeyed the laws of anti-thermodynamics, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but just telling me that they obeyed the laws of thermodynamics doesn't tell me a lot of what I need to know to understand why tree rings are good indicators of rainfall. Uh, the tree ring and case... So that's why I think I'm on the bull, the, I'm on the bullhorn side okay. and you're on the oxygen so side. The, so <laughs> the tree ring case I want to discuss in a minute. And like you say, yeah. I guess, in principle this varies with, with conversational right. context, and there might be conversations in which it doesn't sound stupid to bring up the oxygen. But, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess I'm thinking that the conversational context is something like this. Um, um, one, there are all these time asymmetries in the world. There aren't any in the equations of motion, okay? Um, good. 
um, uh, a past hypothesis might help with that. Second question, more detailed question, but there are various different kinds of time asymmetries in the world. Um, there are thermodynamic asymmetries, there are epistemic asymmetries, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, is there an argument that, that putting boundary conditions on the past and similar sorts of boundary conditions on the past, or are there reasons for being hopeful that putting certain kinds of boundary conditions on the past are gonna take care of all of these in a unified way, okay? Um, that's what this stuff about measurement of inference is supposed to contribute to the possibility of being optimistic about, okay? So it's within that kind, so you're looking for the source of the time asymmetries, okay? Right. Um, um, of course you have to appeal to something time asymmetric um, in, in order to give an account of the, of the source of the, of the time asymmetry. Okay, I, so I don't know, so maybe uh, so maybe we're not disagreeing about anything substantive here. You know, maybe this is coming down to a disagreement of which has the larger psychological impact or, or, or something like that. Or explanatory impact. Okay. I mean, we're back to, but then okay. you're going to say explanation okay. is just making okay. me happy. Let's, maybe this will be clarified a little more. Um, uh, maybe this will be, uh, so I think it's worth talking about the, the case of the tree rings um, a little more. So look, here's a more specific worry. Um, the tree ring case doesn't, on the face of it, look much like the billiard ball story. Um, um, and presumably, the, the striking disanalogy, or at least one of the important disanalogies, is that whereas we need to know something that is as a practical matter in, in the business of making inferences every day, um, in the case of the inference about the billiard ball, you want to make this inference, you need to know something. Somebody needs to have told you something or you need to know something, you know, by hook or by crook about the condition of billiard ball number five ten seconds ago as well as its present condition in order to conclude that it was involved in a collision over the past ten seconds. Whereas, at least like I say in the everyday business of making inferences, it feels like you just have to know about the present condition of the tree, about what the rings in the tree look like now. That is, it's a fact about the way the world works that you just walk up to this tree, you saw it in half, you see the rings, nobody tells you anything about the past, you say, I see it rain 10 years ago, okay? Um, um, so that seems like, on the face of it, a disanalogy. Let's think through the logic of this a little more because I think maybe this will be helpful. So look, somebody is walking through a forest, saws a tree in half, sees a pattern of rings, and says it rained a lot uh, around here 10 years ago. Um, and I ask her to explain her reasoning a little bit. And she says, well, what's my reasoning? I don't know, you know, I've observed correlations many times in the past between patterns of tree rings and, and, pr and past patterns of precipitation. Um, I guess I take these, these, these observations to be confirmatory of a, of a more general hypothesis, you know, to the effect that correlations like that exist as a matter of some kind of a botanical, you know, fairly robust botanical law. 
And the inference in question is a direct application of that law. Um, and as such, it doesn't require any knowledge of or assumptions about the state of the particular tree in question at any time prior to, to 10 years ago and, and blah, blah, blah. Good. That, that sound about right? Yeah, I'd say a little bit more, but, but go on. Okay. Um, okay. And I say, that sounds fine. Um, but um, somebody says to her, uh, uh, there's something I'd like to hear more about. There's something that puzzles me about the botanical law that you're citing. She says, what? And I say, well, I guess I want to know more about how the botanical law you mentioned is related to or fits together with the fundamental physical laws. She says, what's the worry? And I say, well, I guess the worry is this. Um, um, none of the dynamical, none of the fundamental dynamical laws of physics um, um, has, has the feature of sort of relating the state of one subsystem of the world at one time to the state of any other subsystem of the world um, at any other time. So, so you've got a botanical law here, a, a, you know, a, a, a purported botanical law here that connects the state of the tree rings in the present to the precipitation in the past. And I'd like to hear more about how that fits together with the fundamental physical laws, because that's not the character of the fundamental dynamical laws at any rate that I'm familiar with. They don't relate states of one subsystem of the world at one time to states of other subsystems of the world. Um, um, at other times, can you tell me more about how you're picturing this botanical law and the fundamental physical dynamical laws um, fitting together? And, and she says, oh, yeah, I mean, I think I have at least some schematic um, idea of how that goes. Um, um, I take it um, that if you want to fully flesh this out and if you want to understand how it's connected with the fundamental physical laws, what you're going to want to do is show how, at least in a schematic way, you can, get a, you can get a set of correlations like this, certainly not just out of the fundamental physical dynamical laws, and also not out of the fundamental physical dynamical laws together with some sort of statistical postulate, but I take it out of the fundamental dynamical laws together with the statistical postulate, together with some further condition on the actual history of the world, okay? Um, um, something like, say, about the condition of the ecosystem of this forest or of this continent or of the surface of the earth or whatever a thousand years ago or something like that. That is, that there were trees of this type, um, that there were seeds of this type, blah, 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 blah. Um, and... Um, Unless the, now, maybe there are other ways of answering the question of how this fits together with the fundamental laws of physics, and that's, you know, we ought to have a discussion about that. But I take it something like that is going to be the right answer to the question of how this fits together with the laws of, with the fundamental dynamical laws. That is, it fits together with the fundamental dynamical laws by way of some, of, of being coupled with some additional condition about 
the history of the world. And if it works that way, then it seems to me the logical structure, the deep logical structure of the inference from tree rings has exactly the same logical structure as the logical structure of the inference from billiard balls. Why did they initially appear to be such different sorts of inferences? I think that's pretty clear. The dependence of the billiard ball inference on an earlier ready state is particularly obvious and unavoidable because different particular historical cases of such billiard ball inferences are going to involve different earlier ready states. In the tree ring case, the ready state is acting like the oxygen in the Hitler case. Okay, In the tree ring case, the relevant ready state in question is going to be common to all inferences of this general type. And so, although these two kinds of inference both depend on their respective ready states in exactly the same way, it's no wonder at all that the character of those ready states force themselves very vividly on our attention in the billiard ball case and vanish into the background and don't seem worth explicitly mentioning in the tree ring case. Tell me how that strikes you. Well, uh, two comments. Which yes. It just came out of your mouth that the past hypothesis was playing the oxygen role. Yeah, here it is. Which was my... No, no. It varies, reaction. varies with right. conversational right. context. Right. Right. Sure. Um, sure. Here and, it is. And, and the other thing is... Because, because yeah. here we're doing something we don't normally do. Here we are doing something which which under normal circumstances would be a little perverse right. in a tree ring case, which is to press the question, how does this fit together with the fundamental dynamical structure of the world? Right. Okay. Um, the other thing is, and this is just about the, char the, the, the character of the inferences, and I, I, it, did, it seems to me this doesn't go away. We've, there was a, a, a slight, well, I don't know if it's a change in topic, but, a but the focus is now on explaining certain things. But, but, but there is this difference. There just isn't a robust statistical correlation between, in the billiard ball case, say, billiard a billiard ball, I mean, if I were robust, meaning you've got a big, you know, yeah, big empirical absolutely. thing, right, that a billiard ball right now is at rest and it either did or did not undergo a collision within the last five minutes, right? There just isn't such a correlation. You mean the correlation history. between it's now being at rest yeah. and where, right, and right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, of course it's true that it either did or did yeah, not. Yeah, but no, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah. It, it, it gives you no real information. Yes, right. right. There really is, just as a matter of That's fact, a, fact. a correlation between the tree ring structure and the, and the ambient weather no, patterns. Nobody's, nobody's disputing that. Good. So, so, but like I said, there is that difference if, if, if you say, well, what I want is a scientific understanding of the nature of, well, the question is, let's get here, of what do we want to understand? Do we want a scientific understanding of why this inference is reliable, or do we want a, a scientific understanding of the nature of the inference itself? No, he, I, in this particular case, I, you know, I think if you want to know why the inference is reliable, like I think you were saying last time, the answer is confirmation theory. Uh, uh, or, or you know, the, uh, an account of confirmation, okay, or something like that. It doesn't. We want to know how how this piece of the structure of the world is to be understood. Needless to say, in a schematic way, um, um, as fitting together with its with its deep physical structure, okay. And if you ask, if you press that question. Okay. In the conversational context of pressing that question, 
the claim is this is going to get to look very much like the billiard ball. Well, okay, so let's look at some of the details. So suppose I want to understand, I don't think it's exactly confirmation. I want to understand the actual confirmational, the, the actual correlational structure right. in the world right. between, say, uh, tree rings in Princeton and the weather in Princeton five years earlier. Right. Now, there are a bunch of pieces that go into that. One piece of it, as you say, is tree biology. Mm -hmm. You can ask, in a, again, in a certain conversational context, well, how does tree biology fit into the laws of physics? And the normal answer you're going to get is the analysis of DNA and, you know, how they take up water through their roots. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can imagine physics yeah, coming yeah, yeah, yeah. in left and right. No, 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 no. But, but wait, wait, let me I set the conversational context more precisely than that. I said, this person says, here's what puzzles me. The law you're talking, the bot botanical law you're talking about involves a correlation between one subsystem of the world now and another subsystem of the world at another time. None of the foundational physical dynamical laws have the character of linking right. things like that. Can you help me here? Right. So okay. their question is why should the, and of course, at a certain level, not at a certain highly generic level, nothing's going to help us because the laws of physics only take the total global state yeah. of the universe at a time yeah. to the total global state of the universe at some other time. Sure, but parts of that we can fill in. I mean, maybe you and I had a... It, it, there was some hint in what you wrote me that maybe we have a disagreement about that. I'm thinking in generic cases, a lot of what you don't know can be filled in or your excuses for neglecting it can be justified by means of some kind of statistical postulate. Um, um, okay, so may, maybe there'll be disagreements about the degree to which you can do that. Everybody knows that if an elephant suddenly flies in in the middle and crashes into the tree, right. all bets are off. Right. Okay. Or, or um, but, but you can say, given what I know about the world, um, um, I feel safe in, in not worrying about that. And one wants to flesh out the reasoning that's involved right. there. Right, but given what you know about the world. Right. I mean, so let me go back. It, it, there's a bi there, but there are other sociological facts that are relevant for the reliability of my tree ring inference. For instance, there's a sociological fact that it is not an annual practice to dig up all the trees in Princeton and mm -hmm. transport right. them somewhere That's else right. Right. and bring a new set of trees That's in right. from elsewhere right. and plant them. Right. Right? Right. If that were true, then the correlational structure right. wouldn't exist. Absolutely okay. right. yeah. Now you say, well, gee, does that... Do I see a lot of insight into that by thinking about the past hypothesis? Well, no, this looks like sociology I'm now doing. Right? I have to think about wh what I believe about the practices of human beings in transplanting trees. Okay. Now, now it, it does seem to me, you know, I'm coming back to saying, of course, the past hypothesis is playing the oxygen role. Entropy has to okay. be increasing okay. to explain all the sorts Not, of things okay. I would go into right. to get into this, right? Okay. But I, I don't see that it's, it's, it's explanatory. Okay. All right. I think we've, I, yeah. I think we've, I, I think we've laid out the map of this better than we did right. last time. Right, and, and let me just say one, I mean, I think your issue about why why should it be possible to treat just little parts of the world as semi-autonomous yeah. accurately? Yeah. Because you can imagine, even oh, with the yeah, past no, 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 hypothesis, that, 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 that is an issue about the dynamic. And that's about, that oh, is more like wire this is more to be, this I mean, more. There's yeah. more to be said here, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you know. So I think that's a great point. In my defense, I mean, this gets talked about in this, in this dialogue, that, yeah, you know, yeah. and, this, and this gets acknowledged by, 
by the David figure in right. the dialogues <laughs> as yeah something I don't know I don't know right. entirely what to say good, about. Good, we need good. To know so we, we agree that's a very important fact. It doesn't. <laughs> I agree. It doesn't jump no, out at you from no, the surface no, of the physics. I agree. With it's you. buried somewhere deep in the I physics, agree and with it's a very I, I interesting question completely. how it's buried. I agree with you completely. Good. Okay. I, I think the difference is a little narrower good. than it was at the end of the last time. Good. Um, there was another worry that I think you that I think you brought up um, several times without getting a good answer to, and if I understand it, it was a worry. Of the, the, there was the following worry about the billiard ball case that the information we're getting about the past of, of the billiard ball and the billiard ball case is very thin um, um, compared to information we're used to having. Um, you know, we don't get information about the trajectory of the billiard ball or where the billiard ball was at any particular time um, in those 10 seconds. We get this very sparse little bit of information that there was a collision. Okay. Especially in comparison to the tree ring case. Especially no. in comparison to the, well, the tree ring case, I mean, it's not that rich either, but it's more rich. It dates it, okay? Yeah. Uh, it dates it within and the... And it gives you the whole history of... For each year. Yeah. So, so there's a worry um, um, that the information we get isn't very rich, okay? And you could make it even richer, you know, than the tree case by, you know, having a film of the past 10 years, you know, having had a video camera running in the forest for the past 10 years or something like that. And I gave, um, um, I gave answers which were probably too brief to that, it seems to me, last time, by just saying things like, th th this is a matter of the complexity of the example, and you can enrich it in all sorts of ways without changing its basic logical structure and, and get yourself much more information. But I actually think it'll be useful for other things we want to talk about today. To, to give you a slightly more expansive answer to that question. Um, so let's imagine ways of enriching um, the example. These aren't going to be particularly uh, physically plausible ways. I just want to get the conceptual structure clear. So suppose we wanted to know a lot more about, uh, uh, about the history of this uh, billiard ball. So we set up, so we set up some more intentionally designed detector, okay, for the billiard ball. Um, here we're using, you know, here, here, the, the billiard ball number five itself, or the relationship between billiard ball number five state now and billiard ball five state uh, ten seconds ago is acting as a detector for whether something did or did or didn't happen to billiard ball five in the interim. Let's set up a case that more resembles measurements that we actually intentionally set up, like setting up a video camera or something like that, but to have something that we can model easily. So imagine that we fill a, a, the, the, the region of space where billiard ball number five has any reasonable chance of being with some special balls, okay, um, which have the following feature. They only interact with billiard ball number five. They don't feel any of the other balls. And they're negligibly light compared to billiard ball number five. So, they, so that banging into them affects their trajectories a lot. It doesn't affect billiard ball number five's trajectory a lot. And we set them up in predetermined positions at rest in those positions before the 
period of time in which we're interested starts off, okay? And then we look at them later on, and we see a path cleared through them or something like that, and we have a nice, fairly detailed picture of billiard ball number five, which will, of course, include information about whether its direction of motion changed abruptly, like whether... a bubble chamber. That's right, like a bubble chamber, whether it was involved in a collision, blah, 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 blah. Good. Um... um this is interesting. Now, this has the same basic logical structure. That is, we need to know about these special balls, okay, um, information about their conditions at two times, okay, in order to make this detailed inference. Because, of course, the ball, if the balls weren't set up in the initial way, their condition at the later time doesn't tell us anything about what billiard ball number five was doing, okay? Just as if we're not assured that the, that the, the tape in the video camera was blank when we started out, it doesn't tell us anything about what was going on in the forest. Good. So the basic logical structure is the same. But something else is coming up. Um, um, something else is coming up here that's interesting. That's another asymmetry which gets brought up near the end of this dialogue that, that I posted um, between the kind of epistemic grip we have on the past and the kind of epistemic grip we have on the future. In an example like this, the distinction between the amount of information you need um, um, in, order to, in order to learn about the past and in order to learn about the future is actually getting a little less. Because in order to make this example richer, the, the information we need about the past is now, is now getting richer and richer. We need to know the initial states of all of these special balls before we just needed to know that billiard ball number five was in motion. So in order to make the pitch picture richer, we're having to put in more information at the beginning. And there, the contrast between what we need to know um, in order to get detailed information about the past and what we need to know in order to get detailed information about the future is, getting, is maybe getting a little less. But another interesting contrast... Sorry, just to make sure I understood that. Yeah. You're saying just, it's like in the tree ring example, that would be by saying just the presence of the tree rings brings with it a lot of background. No, 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 no. Uh, um, what, what exactly? No, I, I, I'm just, maybe, maybe this is beside the point, and I shouldn't have mentioned it. One thing I, I harped on a lot in the original billiard ball case, okay, was look, in order to know, um, um, we pose the following question. What do I need to, suppose I know that billiard ball number five is currently at rest, okay? Question, what facts about the world do I, you know, what do I need to add to that, okay? Um, um, what do I need to, so, so, suppose I'm confined to the present, okay? Um, um, what, what pieces of information, what other pieces of information about the present do I need to add to that in order to determine whether Billy Bull number five was involved in a collision over the past 10 seconds? Answer, a lot, okay? Something approaching the positions and velocities of all the billiard balls um, in, the, in the collection, okay? Good. Um, contrast that with what I need to add uh, to my knowledge regarding the state of the world 10 seconds ago. To, to make the same determination, answer very, very little. Just the information that billiard ball five, number five was moving. And this was the sense in which I was saying um, um, inference by, uh, by 
measurement, okay, is fantastically more powerful. This was the relevant sense of power here. Is fantastically more powerful, is fantastic, does much more with much less, okay, than inference by retrodiction, okay? Good. When we make, when, when we want to make the results of the measurement more richly informative, okay, we need to, we, we need to pay the price of adding more information about the things, okay? We need to know the initial positions and velocities of all of these special balls, and so on and so forth. That, that's all I was saying. That, 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 okay. But, um, this focuses our attention on something different. Here's a special feature of the kind of epistemic access we have to the past that we don't have towards the future. And the claim is this, again, is just a feature of this logic of measurement inference as opposed to the logic of prediction, retrodiction inference. Um, um, in measurement type inferences, you have this option to store information in the present about, say, the past of billiard ball number five, elsewhere than in billiard ball number five itself, okay? Or in billiard ball number five itself and all of the stuff that interacts with it in a significant way, okay? Um, if, if you're doing prediction or retrodiction, okay, um, the, the, there's necessarily no place for you to go but to the system you're interested in predicting or retrodicting about and to the other systems that are going to dynamically interact with it in a way that's significant for its behavior. Okay? In inference by measurement, you have this totally different option. Okay? You can store the information someplace else. Okay? Right. You can store the information in the film, okay, or in the or in the balls or something like that. Once again, the claim is it's absolutely crucial to this that you have this measurement logic rather than this uh, rather than this prediction retrodiction logic. Okay? Here's another way to put it, which is which is which is is significant towards towards the end of this dialogue. And once again, the claim is this is just coming from the difference between prediction, retrodiction on the one hand and inference by measurement um, on the other hand. It's often the case that we can know something by measurement, okay, about uh, the state of an object at another time, okay. That's, um, um, we can know it in a way that doesn't depend in any way whatsoever on what on questions of what may or may not happen to that object in between the time we know about and the present. Okay? That is, we have a photograph of a billiard ball being at a certain place five minutes ago, okay? Or we have evidence from the present state of these special balls about where billiard ball number five was five minutes ago. Um, the reliability of that has absolutely no relation whatsoever to the reliability of our knowledge about what may or may not have happened to billiard ball number five in the interval between then and now, okay? All of our knowledge about the future of billiard ball number five, okay, depends on our knowing things about the behavior of billiard ball number five itself between now and the future time um, we're interested in. So, um, so I just thought this was worth, your, your question brought up something that was worth, I mean the short answer to your question is, no, it's exactly the same thing, it just involves enriching 
the physics of the example, but I thought it was going, I thought it was worth going into in a little more depth than that because it brings out other very interesting kinds of differences between, um, between the kind of epistemic purchase we have on the past and the epistemic purchase we have in the future. And further claim, all of these can be traced back to the difference between the, me the, the structure of measurement inference and the structure of predictive retrodictive inference. And consequently, um, this is supposed to be encouraging of the hope that all of these differences can ultimately be traced back to the past hypothesis, okay? Um, given the, holding the rest of the physics in place, holding, as it were, the oxygen in place. Um, yeah, yeah so let me just say, I mean, um, The thing you mentioned about you can store the information elsewhere right. and then it doesn't matter. That, right. of course, also, in, in a way you understand, is, is parasitic on the fact that the, the universe breaks up into these quasi-autonomous systems. Sure. If they didn't, then what happens sure. to the record is going to depend on that. So again, well, there just won't be any records. Right, right. Um, sure. Um, so let's just take sure. one more case where, where which, 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 which seems to contradict well, contradicts the, the, the drift of something you just said. Okay. Um, I make a prediction. I make a prediction about where you're going to be tonight right. at 8 o'clock on the basis of my having said to you, let's meet here for dinner at 8. Right. And I have no idea where you're going to be between here and 8. It doesn't depend on my thinking. I have any knowledge of what you're going to be doing. At yeah, I don't think that's true. Right. It, it, it depends on your being a certain kind of homeostatic system right. that, that is going to seek out, is, is, is robustly going to seek out a certain end state. But that's, but all kinds of, and, and in a way that, in a way that you're, rep, in a way that you're getting information about the past from records doesn't. No, but it's just, I mean, this is just, again, the, the. I mean, in, in the dialogue, I say, you know, I, the, the, there's an objection, I, I take it of a similar kind. Somebody says, I happen to know that huge walls are going to come in and, you know, sweep everything in their path, you know, into here, okay? So I damn well know where this billiard ball is going to be 10 minutes from now, okay? Even though I don't know anything about its, uh, anything about its history between now and then. It's just wrong and misleading to characterize that as not knowing anything about its history or anything about its dynamics between now and then. You know enough about its dynamics between now and then to predict precisely that. Right. You know That's that. a big contrast with the stuff you know about. You don't need to know anything about its dynamics between now and that past moment, okay, in order to trust the photograph. Right. All you need to know is about the dynamics, the dynamics of the photographic plate between now and then. Right, it's just a question. That is, you, you, let some, you let something else die in its place, as it were, okay? You let, you let something else do the work of, uh, you, you have this option of transferring the work of keeping track of what happened to another system, okay? In the way you don't towards the future. And the example you just brought up doesn't seem to me a counterexample to that. Well, no, it's just, a, again, it's, I'm not saying it's a counterexample. I'm saying that you, you start out with, you started out with the example of the billiard balls exactly because it's kind of quasi-chaotic system. So to make predictions about billiard balls, right? I really do need this tremendous amount of detailed 
Oh yes, initial state information. Like, like I said, something different. Right. Being, a different kind of yeah. contrast is being brought up here. Yeah. Yes, and you can you can you can come up with cases like the wall sweeping in or something. Right. Or where the information you need about the present is much much more limited. Right. Right. Absolutely right. Then then other kinds of contrasts come to the fore. Okay. Right. Question: What's the deep contrast? Okay, that embraces all of these proposed answer the difference between inference by measurement and inference by prediction retrograde. Okay, so maybe we can, can end, end at this point, which is right. just to say, the question, what's the deep thing that embraces all of this, right. is, as it were, a question with a presupposition, namely right. that there is some one deep thing. Right. One might say, no, there's just no one maybe deep there's thing. No there's no a lot of detailed stories about how there can be homeostatic systems. Somebody's handing you one on a silver platter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, um, say, that would be nice. Let's see if it works out. Okay. Um, just to make sure I, I, I understood the point Tim just brought up. Right. Um, I want to rephrase that just because whenever you have intentional being, it just sort of sounds a little, it makes it more Right. That's a little bit homeostatic. No, but I suppose mean, instead of that, your example was, uh, if I know that the billiard table is shaped like a big bowl. Right, right. Down at the bottom, exactly right. Then I think your response would be what you said, but just in saying you don't, you don't know what the dynamics are going to be between now and then. Right. But you know where it's going to end up because right. of information you have right now. Right, about right, the geometry. correct. Absolutely right. 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 Which is to say, right. but that, but the way you're making, the way you're getting that information, is exactly by means of the calculational procedure that we've been calling prediction. Yeah, but you yeah. have some initial conditions that are part that's of right. that geometry. Part that's of the right. Initial exactly right. Right. Exactly. And we have no idea where it's going exactly to get right. there. But you that's exactly right. And that's just to say, in that case. There's a very strong correlation between a whole set exactly. of initial conditions now exactly. and a condition in the future, right. which allows me to make reliable inferences for right. the future. Right. And there's no corresponding inverse correlation between the state in the future right. and the state. Right. And, and of course, that one right. of the reasons for that is because uh, is because the entropy went up. Right. If you think about right. the entropy, better have gone up because all these initial states feed right. into the same exactly right. final state. Exactly. Right? Right. But um, this is, but this is totally giving you sort of the opposite opinion. The Gee, I can, I can right. predict the future better than I right. can retrodict the past. Right. Again, by appeal to the past hypothesis and increase. So, you know, it's coming now and playing a different role. Right. In, right. In, in a different kind of explanatory structure. Right. So I'm just much more skeptical. I guess that's the way to put it. I'm more skeptical that there is a, as it were, universal story to right. be told. Right. About a huge variety of differences in, Time right. asymmetries and correlational structure. Right. I think they depend in much more detail on fine Good. facts about the way the systems are put Good. together. And David thinks no, behind all that, right. there's this sort of big picture right. that, and, and you see all of these as specializations. Absolutely right. Like. Absolutely right. Good. 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 This is a much better place than things ended last time. Good. Um, okay. Let me let me go on a little bit. Where, what time is it? Okay. Good. Um, wow, now I have to say stuff. Um, okay. Um, I've got more to object to. <laughs> um, but there'll be plenty more of that. There'll be plenty more of that coming. Um, uh, so, the, the target of this paper that I posted wasn't actually supposed to be um, the epistemic asymmetry, but I guess what you might call the causal asymmetry, or or whatever it is 
if anything, and one has to add that because I guess one approach you want, might want to take towards this is that the whole question is confused somehow or something like that. Um, but the target of this was whatever it is that we're gesturing towards, if it's anything at all, when we say stuff like, by acting now, I can, I can affect the future, but not the past. Um, or, or something like that, okay? Um, um, or the, the time-directedness of counterfactuals, or the time-directedness of, uh, of causal influence, uh, or something like that. And um, at least the way things start off here is by offering a crude picture um, of of that as just the flip side of the uh, of the epistemic asymmetry in the following sense okay um, um, what we learn from what we learn it's claimed from this uh, 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 from thinking about the uh, uh, the difference between inference by measurement and inference by prediction retrodiction is, is well this is something of course we already know but I mean what gets elucidated by studying that or so it's claimed um, is this phenomenon that uh, the world is just swimming with localized features of its present physical state okay that are reliably correlated to all kinds of other past features of the world, and that such correlations between the present and the future um, are much rarer, or rather, there are only such correlations as are endorsed by prediction um, uh, towards the future. Okay? Good. Um, flip that around, okay? If you ask yourself, just in terms of this inferential structure, don't ask yourself yet in counterfactual language, because it seems to me that'll be metaphysically confusing in all sorts of ways. Just ask yourself in terms of this correlational structure. Okay. Um, good. So there's. Um, um, so you know you take some event which which has which has because of this correlational structure many traces in the present. An event that's printed. You know reports of which are printed in many newspapers. Um, um, or something like that, okay? It's a feature of the world that very local features of the world, like the distri distribution of ink on a piece of paper in this room right now in New York City, can be reliably correlated to things that happened in other cities um, yesterday, so on and so forth, okay? The claim is that the possibility of such correlations all, you know, is it, it all can be traced back to the past hypothesis via the difference between inference by measurement and inference by um, prediction, retrodiction. The flip side of that is something like this, okay? You ask, how would things, you know, um, um, what kinds of hypothetical present situations of the world, okay, would correspond to different facts about what happened in Washington yesterday. You say, gee, it seems like 
that, that, you know, the, the worlds that correspond to something different happening in Washington yesterday are different in tons and tons of local details. What it says in every individual one of these newspapers, um, um, the brain states of whole bunches of witnesses or people who just read the newspapers, or all kinds of stuff like that. Okay? Um, but, um, since the way the future is related to the present, um, the, the kinds of correlations there are between the future and the present are by means of prediction, okay? Um, there, you can imagine, there, um, 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 it's much rarer that, uh, that there are these reliable correlations um, between uh, how do I want it? Let me say it as I say it in here. Uh, good. Let me not say it as I say it in here because I can't find it. Um, um, here's the deal. Go back to the billiard ball case. Okay? Um, um, we say, what, what would have to be different about the current state, uh, about the current condition of the billiard balls? And actually, okay, this is going to, this is, well, we'll go through, we'll resolve everything at the end. Um, what would have to be different about the current condition of the billiard balls on the table, okay? Given that billiard ball number five was moving 10 seconds ago. In order for the facts about whether or not it was involved in a collision over the past 10 seconds to be different. Answer, billiard ball number five would have, billiard ball number five itself would have to be in a different condition than it presently is, okay? No differences in the conditions of other billiard balls on the table would be connected with different claims about whether billiard ball number five was in a collision over the past 10 minutes, okay? Though whether or not billiard ball number five was in a collision over the past 10 minutes is completely nailed down by the present state of billiard ball number five. Everybody with me here? Contrast that with, with predicting toward the future. We want to know whether or not billiard ball number five will be involved in a collision over the next 10 seconds, okay? Well, whether it will or not is determined by the full state of all the billiard balls on the table. It's clear there that there are all sorts of little ways that the current state of this set of billiard balls could be different that would be connected with different facts about whether billiard ball number five is involved in a collision over the next 10 minutes. Um, you know, changing the facts, and I don't mean changing in a counterfactual sense, I'm contrasting um, um, di different hypothetical actual cases, right? Um, changing the facts, uh, the current facts about billiard ball number 17 might change the facts about whether billiard ball number five is in a collision over the next 10 minutes. Changing the current facts about whether bil uh, about billiard ball number 12 would do it. Changing the facts about billiard ball number 24 would do it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? That is, speaking loosely, the world seems to be, or, or the world of these billiard balls, 
seems to be swarming, okay, with, um, as it were, causal handles um, uh, on, on the question of whether or not billiard ball number five is to be involved in a collision over the next 10 seconds. There's just one such handle, it seems, on the question of whether it was involved in a collision over the past 10 seconds. If throughout all these considerations we're holding constant the information about billiard ball number five 10 seconds ago, if we're holding that constant, the only thing that's correlated with that, the only thing whose changes would influence that is the condition of billiard ball number five itself. Everybody understand this distinction? Okay, this is just the flip side of the epistemic distinction in the case of the billiard balls that we were talking about a minute ago. Okay, that is, um, um, that is exactly the thing that makes it so easy to determine whether billiard ball number five was involved in a collision over the last 10 seconds. That is all you need to know, given the facts about billiard ball number five 10 seconds ago, is about the present condition of billiard ball number five to nail that down. The very fact that makes that so easy also limits the routes by which you could influence it, okay? If you're imagining changes in the set of billiard balls that aren't changes in this, in, in this current state of billiard ball number five, they can't, they can't be correlated with different facts about whether billiard ball number five was involved in a collision over the past 10 seconds. But there are any number of changes, indeed an infinity of changes, in the present state of the billiard balls that will change the facts about whether you would predict billiard ball number five is to be involved in a collision over the next 10 seconds. Everybody, everybody looks puzzled. So people should ask questions. No? No, I'm, I'm puzzled, but I'm not sure I have a, a question. Um, <laughs> I, let me try a question. Good. So you you started out saying, let's not worry about evaluating counterfactuals. Yeah, right? yeah. And you're, you pointed out a fact and then characterized it in terms of causal handles. I mean, yeah, I correct me, yeah, but the, the, regard that as notational for the moment. I mean, I, you know, I believe this is going to, this is, you know, a little bit down the road, this is going to have implications about the way we want to think about counterfactuals. But for the moment, I'm just interested in, in pointing out um, um, uh, in pointing out what the laws say is correlated to what, okay? Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, um, um, I, I don't want to yet bring in the metaphysical baggage of counterfactuals. I'm just pointing out a sort of mathematical fact okay. here. Okay. All right, so, so, so the mathematical so fact is... The fact that... that, that Many hold hold billiard ball five ten seconds ago fixed. Yes. Consider models of the laws of physics yes. that hold that fixed. Yes. And that change. Yes. Various features about, about the presence. presence. Correct. Correct. Right. And here so the, the observation, observation is that right. many changes that are simply changes in other billiard balls. Right lead to models where the collision structure in the future are parts of models the, the where the collision structure of, of billiard ball five in the future is, is quite different. Right. But 
the only models in which the collision structure of billiard ball five in the past are different are ones where okay. exactly correct. That's fine. That, that's all we're doing at the moment. Right. Yes. So that's all we're doing. Right. At so, the so calling these things causal. No, 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 no. You're, okay. It is, 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 <laughs> is, calling these things causal handles is 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 disreputably suggested <laughs> or, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be good reason in the long run to call them that, but that, that's not what okay. we're putting on the table okay. at the moment. Yes? Just to use the language of calling handles. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so but it's exa I mean, I think Tim put it now very, very well, and that's what I'm trying to... Handles on how, um, on the future, but just one on the past or something. Say it again. I have a lot of causal handles. Yeah, in, in this example. Past. That's but right. There's still one on the past. There's still one on the past. Where this is going to go is that I can influence the past a bit, which um, is not going to be what we wanted. We wanted something stronger. Good. No, no. So, well, okay. So then there's a lot, you know, so, so then there's going to be a lot to say. Um, um, but I don't know actually how this is no, going to play out, so I'm not sure what this is. So that sounds like it's not so much a causal handle in the past, but more of a counterfactual. Well, I, look, we, we are, look, look I, like I said last time, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be short-circuiting this, short this discussion now, and maybe the thing to do is to, is to let lots of wild claims flourish and then, and then pare them down, because we're not going to have time to go through all this carefully. So, so um, yeah, so let's rush ahead for a minute, and then we can back up. Um, so, um, it is right. Um, that uh, that that we're going to want to parlay this into into claims about counterfactuals. Um, we're going to we're going to we're going to want to take this to a place where the term causal handles is indeed understood the right way is indeed well deserved. Okay, um, we have to go very fast here. You know, there's a, there's a lot to say in between. Um, that's right. Um, once, once that's all in place, the picture is going to be um, influencing the future. That is is something there are many is something that the present state is littered with opportunities to do, is strewn with opportunities to do, and influencing the past is well. What we have about it so far, okay, is that opportunities are much more limited, okay, but not absent. Okay, good. Um, then, um, um, now, here was, here was, so there's a lot of ways to go on from here. Let, let me give some crude sketches, okay? Um, one thing to say is, okay, you want to know, you want to know, you know, there's an intuition behind all this, the counterfactual talk more generally is important to us because it's, um, because it's, you know, because of its deliberative importance, because because it's talk about what we could do, what we could influence, so on and so forth. So suppose so suppose that you construe the question of what we can influence in some way like this. Okay, you say there's some kind of fiction of agency that we walk around with. Okay, whose content is something like this. Okay. We get to choose some very, very localized feature of the present. Okay, um, um, at most, but I think this is much too big. Say we get to choose the positions of our fingers 
um, at a certain moment, but more realistically, we get to choose certain microscopic features of our brain state um, at the moment or something like that. And we want to know what that can be parlayed into counterfactually toward the past and the future. Okay? That's the kind of game you play. Okay? Good. And, and the result from the billiard ball, speaking very crudely, is going to be something like this. Oh, um, given this direct and unmediated and not further analyzable control over certain very small features of the present, okay, like certain microscopic features of your brain, okay, the, the lesson of the billiard ball example is there's lots that that could be parlayed into towards the future. Okay. There are lots of interesting and important and significant differences between possible futures that that can be parlayed into. Okay. But there's very little that it can be parlayed into toward the past unless you're somehow lucky enough for this little piece of the world that you happen to have control over to be the equivalent of billiard ball number five. Okay. If you're unlucky enough that what you've actually got control over is billiard ball number 27, you're screwed. Okay. Vis-a-vis affecting the past, the past collisions of billiard ball number five. Okay. Good. Then there were people like uh, like uh, Adam Elga, um, like Matthias Frisch, who who came who came who tried to dream up situations where the sort of things we have control over, okay, at the present, are plausibly the equivalent of, of billiard ball number five now, okay? Um, so there are these examples. Um, um, I mean, I'm going very fast here, and I hope people force me to back up by asking questions. And so so you force me to back up. Put my yeah. Flag something, just to yeah. We think of the dialectic that we were going through a few weeks ago in Boltzmann. We start off with the second law being sort of absolute truth, and then once we run statistical mechanics, it becomes a sort of probabilistic thing. Right. right? Well, there's some exceptions. Right. And we're sort of okay with that because the second law started off with just being a sort of empirical generalization. Right. Well, then it went, so maybe it is just a right. statistical thing. Right. There's something similar going on here that we thought that it was just mm. an absolute truth that I yeah. can't affect the past. The past is sort of done. Right. And now you're giving me your story where it's not quite an absolute truth. Well, but, but there's like, more to the like story. The I mean, I mean, there's, there's, it might have turned out that way. I don't think it would have been sort of incoherent or a reductio for it to have turned out that way. Yeah, it, you know, it could, I, I don't think that's in fact the way, I think the way in fact it does turn out is a little more complicated than that. I see. But I do want to say, if the thought is it would be a reductio, of this whole approach, if that's the way it had turned out, I guess I disagree with that. Yeah, I'm not um, sure what I think about that. Um, I can conceive of someone who just thinks that the idea that you can't affect the past. Is I think there's somebody like that right here. You <laughs> you're not, you can actually see someone. <laughs> you don't even have to conceive of them. You can talk to someone. <laughs> you can talk to someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, but but I don't think, in fact, it turns out that way. I think the story gets more interesting than that. That is, the logical next step, I can see you want to say something, Tim, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stop in just a minute. Um, um, the, the, there was, so the sort of model that was set up in time and chance, okay, 
was this, okay, was the one you just characterized. Okay, we've got an argument that opportunities to affect, that, 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 that the present is swarming with opportunities to affect the future. And mind you, once again, to the extent that the epistemic asymmetries can be traced back to the past hypothesis, all that I'm saying now can be traced back to it in, in exactly the same way. Um, so we've got this picture where the present is swarming with opportunities to affect the future, um, but that opportunities to affect the past are few and far between, okay? And in order to have this effect, you know, it, it all depends on what, on what you start with, okay? The content of the fiction of agency is you've got this direct and unmediated control over a very tiny piece of the present. The question is what can you parlay that into? Using using the the architecture of the laws of nature as as um, as we've laid them out. Right. So the initial so so the initial position and this is where things got left in time and chance was um, was of the kind you described. Um, look, it's just that it's just that causal handles on the future are plentiful in the present. Causal handles on the past are few and far between. Then you had guys like Frisch and Elga who said, look, excuse me, uh, uh, I'm not completely happy. I, I, I don't think it should be a matter of degree like that. And they cleverly came up with scenarios, okay, in which there were interesting features of the past, okay, um, whose causal handles were arguably just these little events in, in your brain or the positions of your fingers or something like that. Um, so Frisch comes up with an example like this, okay? Um, Frisch comes up with an example like I'm, I'm a musician and I'm playing a, uh, and I'm playing a piece and uh, the, piece, the piece involves two similar passages but with different endings, okay? The first passage has one ending, the second passage has a different ending. Um, um, and, and the way I operate, which I take it is psychologically plausible, I don't play an instrument, but this sounds reasonable enough, um, um, the, the, the way things work with me is as follows. Okay. Um, I experience myself as making a decision at a certain moment about which ending to play. Okay. And my past experiences that, that the decision I make statistically turns out to be a reliable indicator of where in fact I am in the piece. Okay. That is, if I decide to play the second, my, the occasions of my experiencing myself as freely deciding to play the second ending, okay, turn out as a reliable statistical matter to be correlated with those situations in which I've already played the first ending. Okay. Good. So, um, so Frisch is, is trying to construct the case in which what I experience myself as freely deciding, okay, also plays the role of being a reliable indicator, okay, of whether I played the first, of whether I played the first passage or not, okay. I, I, we won't have time to go into the details of all this. People tried to come up um, with, um, with scenarios in which, in which I was lucky enough 
to 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 be assigned control by the fiction of agency over stuff that counted as a causal handle on the past. Okay? Good. And these cases turned out to be interesting to think through. Okay? Because on thinking them through, you saw how um, you saw how the kind of control that you were offered um, of the past in the T take the first case, okay? Take the case I just described. Suppose, suppose I say, I see, I've got control over whether I played the first passage or not, okay? I make this decision now, okay? And if I decide to play the second passage, um, um, I am causing it to have been the case that I already played the first passage on the kind of picture that's being presented in Time and Chance. Good. Um, here's one of the right ways to, to continue thinking through the first case. You say, well, let's see. So you want to say, okay, I've got control over whether or not I played the, the, the first passage. Let's see, let, let's see what that entails. Suppose I come to you and I say, I'll pay you a million dollars to make it the case that you already played the first passage. Okay? It won't work. Okay? Because in that, if you're playing, if you're doing it for the million dollars, you break the counterfactual connection between you're playing the second passage now and you're having played the first passage in the first place. That is, you're playing the second passage now won't be a reliable indicator of your having played the first passage before. Okay? It's only a reliable indicator if you reach that decision in a certain way, okay? Just by consulting your feeling or something like that. But if somebody comes to you and says, make it the case now in order to save the life of your child, okay, that you played the first passage already, you won't be able to do it, okay? So, there is a counterfactual dependence here between your reaching the decision in this particular way and it having happened, okay? But this is a very thin, weak, paltry kind of control. It's not like the kind, if somebody comes to you and says, in order to save the life of your child, make sure you have a tuna sandwich for lunch tomorrow. I can do that, okay? And I can do it over a robust set of, con you know, over a robust variety of conditions now, okay? This turns out to radically fail to be true of these, of, of these Frisch type cases. So, I mean, this is a long story. There are different cases due to ELGA, so on and so forth. But the upshot, or I claim, I mean, maybe somebody's going to come up with a new interesting story tomorrow. The drift of these discussions so far has been, no, no, it's more than just that opportunities to affect the past are few and far between. Okay. Um, it's that such quote opportunities as there are 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 of a of a kind of thin, useless, different category of things. It, it's a very even in cases where I where those causal handles are what I'm lucky enough to have control over by means of the fiction of agency, the opportunity to exploit them is of a very different kind than the opportunity to exploit them towards the future. So I, I think these objections sort of enrich the picture, enrich the picture a great deal. So this is a very long-winded answer to a concise question you asked, but 
do I think it would be a reductio if it just turned out that these things are statistically rare? No, I don't think it would be a reductio. But I think the actual case, at least given what we've learned so far, is richer and more interesting than that. It's not just that they're rare. It's that, it's that you know, it's that they're in various different ways um, uninteresting or, or thin or beside the point or something like that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so does it just fall out of your view that you can affect what's in the box in the Newcom case? No, um, in the Newcom case, no. Let's see. Let's see. You know, I thought about this. I thought about the Newcom case. I don't remember what I thought about the Newcomb case um, um, because there was some interesting there, there was some interesting relationship between this view and the Newcomb case. Uh, let me try to remember what what I thought about the Newcomb case. I'll get back to you, Tim. Um, so this is I'm, I'm sorry you don't have to. No, no, that's okay. But this is I mean there was something I wanted to bring up a long time ago. Right. Maybe it's apposite to bring it up at this point um, because. Because this has to do, you're right, I'm the guy who says, look, at least on the conception that I have of causation, which I take it as, you know, the guy, in the, the hamburger eating guy in the street. I get to... I, you know, the only person who actually eats hamburgers here is me. I know, I get to be you. I know, and you're proud of it. You're always the guy who's like, you know, you're not the fancy philosopher That's guy. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm the not fancy philosopher guy in this conversation, right? Um, I think that, that, that time intrinsically has a direction. This is a physical fact. David tends to call this a metaphysical fact. I think it is a physical fact that time is a physical thing. It's a fact about the nature of time. Um, and that uh, uh, causes do precede their effects, and there just are no counter instances of that. Um, now, the part of what I wanted... Now, at the beginning of this whole dialogue, um, David's aware of that, and when he says what he wants, I'll just read what Huckleberry says at the beginning. I want a scientific explanation of these various asymmetries. Right? So we've got the causal asymmetry that we've talked about, the epistemic asymmetry, but that's clearly a matter of degree and kind and not absolute right. in this way. So right. that's a different discussion. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. agree that that's a different discussion. And he says, uh, the question is, what kind of explanation do you want of these asymmetries? Huckleberry, I want a scientific explanation. I want a way of understanding this asymmetry as a mechanical phenomenon of nature. I want a way of understanding this particular, this asymmetry, which is entirely of a piece, that is, with the way one understands why some particular projectile landed where it did, or how an atomic clock works, or what accounts for the asymmetry in birth rates, okay, that we talked about before. So I just want to make a comment about this. You know, it, 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 what one, what is meant here by a mechanical phenomenon of nature, or a mechanical explanation, or a scientific explanation, and what the nature of the direction of time is in that target, okay, and whether the direction of time itself is the kind of thing that could be susceptible of this kind of explanation, which is what I just want to talk about this one example. So take the case of the projectile. We all agree in what we mean by a mechanical explanation, that this is a mechanical explanation of why a projectile hit 
a certain landed where it did. You say, well, 10 minutes ago it was fired from a cannon with such and such a muzzle velocity, and this is the you know, ambient atmospheric conditions, and this is the ambient gravitational field, and it went and that's why it's there. I take it that nobody would accept the following thing as a mechanical explanation of why the projectile was in the cannon five minutes ago. Well, it just landed here following such and such a trajectory. If I project backward in time, I find, given gravity and everything else, that it must have, as it were, you know, I trace backward and say, look, it had to originate from that cannon. That we're back to the, you know, to the flagpole, old Hempel flagpole cases, right? That the, the sun and the height of the flagpole explain the length of the shadow. The height of the flagpole is perfectly well reliably inferable from the length of the shadow and the position of the sun, but nobody would say, whereas that is, as it were, a mechanical explanation of the length of the shadow, it ain't a mechanical explanation of the height of the flagpole. And that what we started out here with the things you call causal handles just had to do with inferential connections, information theoretic connections. Right, right. Okay? Right. And what you try to do is promote information theoretic connections right. into things that are appropriately called causal. Right, right. And I think there's not much prospect, I mean, certainly in our intuitive picture of the world, there's not much prospect for that. And that if you think at least the way we intuitively think about the world, when we think we have a, a mechanical explanation, it's because we have a sequence of things and, and it's time directed and it starts with something and things arise out of that or produced by that and we think that that's a mechanical explanation of the effects from the causes and that has to go in a certain direction. Okay. So, what... Now, David's going to try to argue is something like, look, I can't give you back exactly what you thought you had. And in fact, there will be slight differences like mm -hmm. on my account whether or not the, you know, the, the entire civilization of Atlantis existed, which in fact, let's say it did, mm -hmm. right, 10,000 years ago, is causally dependent on how I wiggle my fingers mm -hmm. throughout my entire life and mm -hmm. my toes and everything right. else, right? That I have, and we all have complete causal control at all moments over the past existence of Atlantis. And if you don't know the details of the case, so this is Adam's case. Right, I can, I can, I can yeah, talk about that. We can fill in the details right. of that case. And David wants to say, yeah, that doesn't really fit with what you thought, but you can't make any money off it. Right. Right? Right. Uh, my view is, I don't understand, you know, and, and this is, we didn't talk about my paper on Direction of Time, we put it up on the website. My view is, it doesn't fit with what I think, and I don't see any good reason for giving up what I think, and I'm not, and, and in fact, maybe we should put up that little thing by Alonzo Church on trying to get women out of your ontology, because that would be, <laughs> um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assent to this idea that even if David can get me, as it were, pretty close to what I thought, that that's good reason to right. think that his picture is right and my picture is wrong. Let right. me, let me, so, you know, the, let the me, dialectic is a very different let, let's, let's try to, like I say, unfortunately, you know, yeah. th this thing has a, this discussion now has a long history and, right. and a lot's been learned in the course right. of that, in the course of that history. And there's too much detail to go carefully through here. But let's see if I can, if we can sort of, get a panoramic view of the state of play. First of all, I take it, we now, it's not clear to me that we agreed on this three years ago or something, but it, but it, it feels like we agree now that we think it's the case 
that modulo the differences between talk about probability and talk about typicality. Um, so bracketing that, um, um, we're expecting it to be the case that all robust correlations in the world are in principle obtainable by means of conditionalization on the mentaculus. Okay? Good. Now, um, um, those correlations... Well, at least all the correlations to the future of the mentaculus. To the, yeah, you mean to the future of the past? <laughs> if, you, if you assume, yeah, 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 yeah. whether you think that yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. All, all the correlations that we're familiar with, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. are obtainable by the appropriate sorts of conditionalizations yeah. on the mentaculus. Okay. Um, in particular, the kinds of correlations that there are and aren't between um, things that happen now and things that happen in the past and future are obtainable from the mentaculus. Okay. In this sense, um, um, you know, uh, all correlations between acts of ours that we that we habitually describe as voluntary and so on and so forth, and certain features of the past and future are obtainable from the mentaculus. Good. Now, um, um, the mentaculus doesn't have anything in it about whether or not time has a direction. Okay. That's something, and that, that's part of what I mean by mechanical as opposed to metaphysical. Maybe those aren't the right words, okay? But that whatever the apparatus is that's required in order to get the statistical correlations, okay, which is what I'm thinking of as providing a mechanical explanation, okay, is it, it is, is, we've just agreed in the mentaculus, this is a completely at right angles to the question of whether, in your sense, time has a direction. Okay. Again, only only making the inferences in one direction. So. What do you mean, only making the inferences? Well, just what we said. We're not whether whether. No, no, no. There's a correlational structure here. Forget about the, there's a, there's a time parameter. Okay. Right. I'm so talking about the correlational structure in our side world of the past hypothesis. Yeah. Okay. okay. In our world. Okay. And let let you know. For, forget about before the past yeah. hypothesis. Yeah. We're not. We're yeah. cutting. We're doing whatever you want there. Okay. We're cutting it off. We're we're. That's where you fall off the edge of the world. Well, I don't know what. It is of course. Yeah, I mean, that question is, is is of some interest if you ask. Could the past hypothesis itself be susceptible no, to certain kinds no, of no, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree. Yeah. But, take, but take for the moment just the explanation of our experience, okay? Um, um, including our experience of, what, of, of the asymmetry and correlational structure between the past and the future, okay? The puzzle, what's puzzling for me is, okay? It's in, now, then there's a further question, okay? What, what more specialized tools are helpful 
are, are illuminating for the project of digging that correlational structure out of the mentaculus. Mm -hmm. So I think this distinction between inference by measurement and inference by prediction is really helpful and really illuminating for digging a lot of these correlations out of that, out of the mentaculus. You, you're less optimistic that they're going to be that helpful. But though that, that's a sort of, that, that's a more detailed difference. The panoramic structure, which is whatever the hell correlations there are and where, and, and whatever the detailed process of, of, of bringing them into view might or might not involve, they're all sure as hell in there in the mentaculus. Okay? And the mentaculus has no commitments one way or the other in it on the question, as you understand it, of whether or not there's a direction of time. Yeah. Okay? Okay. What puzzles me then, okay, is something like this. Um, given that, okay, um, it's true that whatever grounds our impression, okay, that nothing that happens now affects the past or something like that, is among these things that you can dig out of the mentaculus. That whether there is or is not a direction of time in your sense is playing no role in that. Uh, I'm not, I mean, we would need to understand what it means, what grounds our impression that this and that. I mean, I think... The, no, 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 wait, yeah, I'm adopting your language. What, the, the, the correlational structure, okay? The correlational structure which has these asymmetries in it. Yes. Let, let, let's, let's put it, let, let, let's spell out some of it. This is by no means all of it. The correlational structure that has these, these asymmetries in it, our disposition as physical objects to say things like, we can affect the future but not the past, the relationship between the existence of that correlational structure and our having that disposition, okay? All of this kind of stuff no. we're going to be able to get by conditionalizing so, on the Okay, so this is, all right, so let me now say why I disagree. Okay. So imagine, imagine I'm a scientist studying the formation of certain kinds of crystals. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, the way it works is I, I start with... Uh, I, I, I start with a with a, a, a big vat of liquid that has something dissolved in it, mm -hmm. you know, and like with salt or whatever. Right. Okay. Right. And in fact, what the happens is these crystals seed uh, on on a certain structure. So one of the experiments I do is I put a little I put a little sheet down of this metal mm -hmm. on one side of the thing, and the crystals grow out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there may well be a directional correlational structure in the macro state of the crystal as I go from, say, left to right, or go right. from the screen outward. Right. Okay? The fact that, that, that there is that correlational structure and it's asymmetric would, it seemed to me, not at all be sufficient if I said, you know, in that structure there are creatures there's no time in there, of course. I mean, or not what we call time, but there's a dimension they call time. They call it time. It goes, it goes from the from the metal plate out, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and you start pointing out all this detailed correlational structure right. in you know the, this crystal is followed by that crystal, right. blah blah blah. Right. And I say, look, man, uh, there ain't no creatures that are under the impression of anything. 
Right. That's just a static system. It's a right. static system with a certain spatially right. asymmetric correlational right. structure in right. it. Right. 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 Nobody's thinking anything. Right. Nobody's. Addressing. But I, I didn't say anything about what anybody. But, but, but this is what you were. I, no, I said wait, wait, things wait, wait, like so about what, what. You said certain. The metaculus doesn't care. Yeah. The metaculus you said has no direction of time in it. Yeah. At a certain abstract level, it doesn't have time in it at all. Right. It has some, it has some degrees of freedom. It's some parameter. Right. Right. So what? I, Does that mean not anything that anything that's describable in terms of some degrees of freedom? Therefore, anything we say about causation in the actual world has to be true of it. Um, I, hmm, I'm not. I, I may be missing. I just don't think you can reduce all this. What you're saying is is you have an explanation of the correlational structure. Right. And then you're saying things like, but the correlational structure is the basis for X, Y, Z. Right. And if by basis you mean it simply follows from the existence of such and such a correlational structure, you have X, Y, Z, then I just completely disagree. I don't think the correlational it structure gives you causation. Is. Well, I don't think it gives you causation. I don't think it gives you no, 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 anything no, no, no. about anybody's impression of wait, anything. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. It does give you... I mean, the worry here is that... Um, the, the worry here, as I think is beginning to clearly emerge, is that... Once the correlational structure is in place, the the role of a further claim to the effect that there is what you're calling a direction of time is somehow epiphenomenal. Okay, that's the nature that, that that's the nature of the worry. That is what what we all what, what it seems like we agree is given the mentaculus with just this parameter in. It, okay. Um, um, I'm not saying about how, or maybe I did say things about how people would feel. Let me retract those to be more careful. What people are going to utter, what people are going to write, okay? Um, um, what the actual correlational structure is among different values of this parameter. All of that stuff is going to come from conditionalizing on the mentaculus. Okay, okay. So now, now you may say, you may say, all of this amounts to nothing. Yes. Okay? <laughs> um, all of this amounts to nothing because it's a fundamental principle that without time, okay, you can't utter there, anything. There is no explanation. No, no, you can't utter anything. Oh, that I, that I guess I don't understand. I don't think if there, I'm if taking a spatial object, nobody utters anything. Oh, who said it was a purely spatial object? I, I, I gave you a purely spatial crystal with a bunch right. of correlational structure and its spatial right. structure. Right, right. Nothing is being uttered there. But I, I don't know what to say. There are, there are, uh, 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 there are these, good. So then, uh, then I don't understand. Then it seems like you ought to have objected to the claim that all... Um, temporal, the, the, the temporal correlational structure comes from the mentaculus too. What? I guess you should have objected to calling it a temporal correlational no, structure. The degree of freedom we call it time. That's okay. okay. The fact that it's time isn't. But, but so now we're going to have. But so now we're going to have a difference of opinion, uh, which doesn't seem like an interesting difference to argue about about whether uh, about whether. 
When you say nobody utters anything, you mean because there isn't any sound or because nobody's performing intentional activity? No, because nothing's changing. So there isn't any sound? Is there sound? I mean, no, sound. of course there's okay. no sound. But there is sound in the case where we call one of those parameters time without No, there's sound in the case one of those parameters is time. <laughs> Not when okay. we call it time. <laughs> now we're back to, you know, you, okay. you call the horse the okay. tail of a horse a leg. Let's put it away. Good. It's it is time. Good. Let's put it this way. Okay. Let's put it this way then. The, the, the direction of time, here's, here's an important difference, okay? Um, um, I talk, I want to give an account of my thought that there's a table in front of me, okay? Um, um, the correct account is going to be related in a specific way to there being a table in front of me in the normal case, uh -huh. okay? Um, um, and, and I conditionalize them in taculus, blah, 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 blah. The way um, there being the kind of thing that you're willing to call a time, okay, enters, or that you're willing to call, say, a direction of time, enters into our conviction that there is a direction of time is very different. It's entering in as a precondition of the, of the activity of explanation at all, okay? Uh, it's entering in as a precondition of, the, of there being beliefs at all, anything like that. It's not entering into my... So, I, I, I have many beliefs, okay? I have beliefs, you know, about whether it's raining. I have beliefs about asymmetries of causal influence, okay? Um, the fact of there being a direction of time, on your view, enters into all of those in exactly the same way. It doesn't enter into the account, doesn't enter into the account of my convictions about the direction of time in a different way that it enters right. into anything and, else. And, and it enters, it's this and, very and it, general precondition. And it, and it enters into the project of giving what we would normally call a mechanical explanation in just that. No, no, no. The, the correlational structure between the landing state yes. and, the, and the, you know, launching state. Yes. The correlation runs both ways. Yes. Why it is that we take it Yes. To be a mechanical explanation of the landing from the launching and not yes. of the la launching from the landing. Yes. I would say, yeah, that's because but that time is passing in a certain direction in this story but Tim, is what makes it a mechanical explanation Tim, of A from B. But Tim, look, on previous occasions it feels like you've said, maybe I misheard you, um, that somebody says to you, why do you believe there is in your sense a direction of time? Okay. And you say things like, well, because that's the way the world presents itself to me, and unless I have good reasons for being talked out of that, uh, I'm not going to give it up, okay? But in light, of what, in light of where we are now, that seems like a kind of misleading thing to have said. That is, I take it at least the conversational implicature now there is. Um, a good explanation of its presenting itself to me in the way it does is that it is that way. Okay? As in the case, you say to me, why do I believe there's a table in front of me? Okay? I say, because I see a table. Unless you've got some way of talking me out of that, I'm going to go on presuming that there's a table. And what I mean by that is that the existence of the table, okay, is a good presents itself as a good explanation of my sensation that there is one. 
okay, of my belief that there is one. In the case of time, as you're picturing it, it's very, very different from that. Okay? Yeah. Time is, somebody says, why do you believe that there's a direction of time? It, 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 it seems like a misleading answer to say, because the world presents itself to me that way. It seems like the more accurate answer is, because I have principles which commit me to the claim that the whole business of believing anything, okay, of explaining anything, blah, 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 is committed before the whole project gets started to the existence of a direction of time in my sense. So this isn't a part of the project of explaining the particular fact about the world that it seems to us that what we can do now can affect the future but not the past. No, I, so the last part I said, look, I, I do think this, this has a very, and, and the way you see it has a very foundational role in the history of philosophy is you mm -hmm. notice, you know, that it was always treated differently. I mean, even Descartes gets skeptical about the existence of space and anything in space. Right. But even Descartes never gets skeptical about the existence of time. He right. thinks he's kind of aware. He is directly aware of the temporal aspects of his own mental states right. succeeding one another, right? right? right. Um, thinking this and then thinking that, right? right? Of um, course, that's part um, of the correlational structure that's in the mentaculus. It's, that there is, you have to go from, of course, there, again, there can be spatial correlations, that's not... No, but Tim, but Tim, but, wait a minute. But, but there's there's a hold on one second, because I think I can clarify something here. There's a before and after to that. But Tim, look, you keep saying... So, I don't understand what just happened here. You, you, you said, you, it, it sounded like we agree. Look, the commitment to there being a direction of time in your sense, okay, is a commitment to something that, it, you, the reasons for being committed to it have to do with the thought that it's a precondition of all these other discussions, okay, of having beliefs, of, uh, uh, of, of, of engaging in the project of explanation of, you know, the whole shooting match. It's very, very basic, mm -hmm. okay? But now you're talking about Descartes and you're talking about specific observations that he's making about the sequence of his thoughts or something like that. Okay, or the or the feeling that his thoughts have a sequence. That's not more important. It's not yeah, important. yeah, yeah. The feeling yeah. of his thoughts ha that, that his thoughts have a yes. sequence. That sounds much more like the table case. That is, he's focusing attention on a particular feature of his experience. Okay, and then you would think that then the listener would normally be tempted to think, ah, so he believes in X because X seems to provide the best explanation of that particular feature of his experience. But that's not what. No, no, that's not. You think it's a precondition of experience per se. It's, it's so any experience is as confirmatory of it as any other experience. You shouldn't be isolating particular experiences. Wait, wait. It can't always be that my belief in A is just an inference from my belief in B, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. then we get into an inference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we, ha we, we, we have to have some convictions that we don't arrive at by inference, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And these are ones that normally we would say seem to us self-evident that, right. you know, right. that, that they are not things that I can Right. Right. The sequentialness, and this is a different question than talking about correlations. That, yeah. that, that there is an ordered, directed sequentialness. Yes. Okay. Yep. To my experience, let's talk about that. Yeah. Just seems to me a given fact about how it is presented. To me. 
It's not something I... It's not as if I can say, oh, there's this other fact about the nature of my experience which I step back, investigate, and say, gee, you know, I can sort of see a sequentialness in there. That's, mm -hmm. I can't... You know, that doesn't make no sense, mm -hmm. right? It's just given to me a sequential, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. One possibility for why that is so is because it is sequential. Yeah, mm -hmm. so this is a case... But this is not like the table case where it's... It's not a possibility it's, of... Yeah, it's from not, me. It just no. is sequential. It's well, sequential in time. No, no, no. Uh, that's a so that, that's a possibility in the sense that it's logically compatible with that. But it doesn't play any special role in explaining the, the perception of sequentialness any more than it plays a special role in explaining the special features of a toothache or anything like that. For you, experience as a general matter, okay, yeah. presupposes a direction of time in the sense in the sense you're talking about. Okay, so it just doesn't seem appropriate. I mean, I was su surprised that you suddenly slipped back to Descartes because there's this. The, it, it sounded like you had agreed. It's not like the table. It's not like this is suggested by a particular feature of my experience. It's rather suggested by experience per se. Okay, so that no no particular feature of my experience that's focusing on sequentialness is more relevant to this than the feature of having a toothache or the fe feature of in seeing the, a table. In, in the sense that any of my experiences are sort of have this sequentialness in them. I mean, now I'm not understanding the well, distinction no, I, between I, I don't know, you, particular you, in general. It you may say, be that in, you in say fact, that all of my experiences do have a sequential character. Oh, wait, so maybe... No, 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 but no, if you focus on any one of those... No, 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 no. I thought, I, I thought maybe, maybe we need to sharpen this a little. Maybe I didn't... I thought that your position was experience per se presupposes time. That in the crystal case, it's not just that there's no experience of sequentialness. There's no experience, Correct. period. Okay. I so there's no reason to believe anything. Right. So, there's, so experience per se, okay, is uh, re requires what you're calling a direction of time. Good. In that sense, any experience is is exactly as relevant as evidence for this direction as any so, other. No, but that's not. They're, they're different. Jai relations. Yeah. yeah. I'm totally lost. You're not talking about like epistemology and stuff, where what we started out by doing is trying to explain the phenomenon. These, right. These two different things, right? I mean, given any proposition no. P. No, no, wait, wait. Wait, wait. There's one wait. question as to why I should believe that P is true. Another question is to what explains why P is true. There's a third question, right. which is, which is what is the nature of the explanation? Look. But wait, you might be right that it's preconditional experience that it's directed in time so, and so that I believe in, that there is such a thing as direct, direction of time isn't arrived at by inference or something. Mm -hmm. That's consistent with uh, us maybe wanting some scientific explanation of what the direction of time consists. Right, but, but so I'm not, I'm you're, you're, skipping, you're skipping over, you know, look, one of the issues, and that's why I brought up at the very beginning when Jedediah says, or Fulberry says, whoever, I want a scientific explanation, a mechanical explanation. Yes. And give no, an okay. example. Yeah. If, yeah. when you think about it and you think, what do I mean by that? I mean, let me think of the examples where I think I have the gadget, I have the thing you're asking me for. No, I uh, like, I like and if it turns out that a, a certain time directedness is a presupposition of having such a thing, then, of course, you're not going to be in a good situation to say, well, but I want a kind of explanation of that sort to time directedness itself. 
right? No, I like that point, but this okay. at this time, the conversation was sort of descending into like my reasons for believing that there's direction of time. That, that's what I thought was. But yeah, I mean, I mean, here's the here's the here, uh, here's, oh sure, sorry. So what? So David Albert's offering this the metaculus, and he's got this parameter, which he's labeling T, right? And there looks to be like two. So there's two steps in trying to trying to get some direction of time out of this. One is arguing that this this dimension really is a dimension of time. And the second step is arguing that then it has a direction that you can explain all this directedness. No, but I, I don't need, wait, I'm not sure I understand the first step. If somebody, somebody gives me the... The first the, step is something like this, you know, it's four-dimensional. I have this four-dimensional thing, and then I know, well, I want to distinguish one, I don't distinguish it by fear, okay? I distinguish it by... You know, I, I distinguish it in, in a number of ways, one of which is the following. I notice, okay, that there are that there are that there are ways of slicing up this four dimensional thing, okay, such that there are simple rules connecting what you find on one slice and what you find on another slice. But there are other ways of slicing it up so that there aren't simple rules connecting what you find on one slice to what you find on another slice, okay? One way of getting started here is to say, oh, time is the name we make up for the axis such that the slices perpendicular right. to it, okay, are the ones where there's a simple rule linking, linking. That's, so you don't stipulate that one of them is time. Okay? No, 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 you you find your way through this pattern. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. So I, I maybe I'm, I, yeah, well, all I did well, was. It sounds like one of the things that Tim was objecting to is why any one of those dimensions deserves the special label of time. But there are one Yeah, there are plenty of ways of distinguishing it. You were giving your objection to the sense of crystals and. I mean, sure. I mean, look, what, I don't even know what I. I really have no idea what is meant by saying this slicing stuff gives us any insight into anything. It doesn't correspond to any actual thing that anybody ever could do, right, as it were, stand back and see the entire four-dimensional history of the universe and try slicing it this way and slicing it this way and saying, oh, I'll call that guy time because there's this correlational structure in it. I mean, there's this talk about this as an analytical procedure, but I don't know what it's supposed to correspond to in terms of what anybody anybody's access to the nature of time. It's not, it's not supposed to correspond. No, no, no. It's supposed to correspond to... It, it's supposed to correspond to... A, a, you have you have your experience, okay, and then you you throw up these theoretical models of what the world looks like, and you want to see how to draw connections between your experience and various models that uh, uh, that various scientific theories might generate for you. Good. Okay. So the story about slicing it up is not supposed to be a story about the natural history of any human. So what is it a story? I don't I don't I literally I don't understand what it's supposed to be a story about. It's it's a it's I, I, are you saying my crystal that I grew? Yeah. I can now do your thing. I can yeah. slice it this way and notice oh there's some you know No but there won't be there there are there are correlations but there won't between be. slices when I slice it this way really and when I crystal, slice it that way. But there won't be. No no it's a why why not? Because there, there won't be those kinds of it won't be the case, okay that there are simple rules. Take an actual crystal. Yeah. Okay. There won't be the case that there are, that there are simple rules of anything like the power or precision, say, of the fundamental physical laws connecting cross sections, 
connecting any particular parallel pairs of cross sections of this crystal. Why? Why do you think? Because that's not the way crystals are. Right. They, they grow out. They grow out in time. Yeah. Of course, right. they're like that. They grow out in. You, you get it. You get it's growing in a natural way, and now you get a flaw here, and now this flaw creates a sort of thing that that gets thicker. Yeah, they could go lots of different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Be as detailed as you like. Well, I mean, you could make up a very different world. It won't be a world of crystals. But what we're cutting. You, you, you had more to say. That can't be the answer to it. You said it's right. You could imagine some kind of. Oh, you could, man. Oh no, but yeah, then it could be the answer. Like this, that wasn't. That's you're misusing my theory of, of time. My theory of what makes the dimension time. I mean, I'm misusing Tim's theory. Sense, yeah. Turns pattern in the entire four-dimensional manifold, not just your crystal. In it. No, I, I take it Tim was using the crystal as a model of an entire okay, four-dimensional matter. The same it's a, you, you could point out the same interesting facts about not in an actual directionality of correlations yeah. in a crystal yeah. of the exactly the same kind mathematically and inferentially. No, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. But you could have supposed to explain why this is time. So I don't think that's right about an actual crystal. But I don't think. Whether it's right about an actual crystal or not is particularly relevant to the conversation. You're absolutely right. This is what I mean. Maybe I'm using the word ineptly by singling time out metaphysically rather than mechanically. What I mean by separating it out mechanically is something you can get out of the metaculus. Okay. Um, maybe that's a bad word to use the way mechanical. Bad way to use the word mechanical. If so. I withdraw it and will substitute it for something else. But here's the question. Look, if you're, once again, we agree that this whole correlational structure comes from the mentaculus. Okay? Um, um, it sounds like we disagree or, or are optimistic to different degrees about, about what more focused tools will be more helpful or less helpful for digging this correlational structure out of the mentaculus. But someday, either these tools are going to prove very useful or they're not going to prove very useful. But someday, if science works out, people are going to have the right tools to dig, all, to dig this correlational structure out of the mentaculus. Okay? And then, and then somebody's going to say, good. That's what I take to explain our sense of directionality, our sense of passage, so on and so forth. Now, what I'm trying to get clear on is what you're going to say about that. If somebody says, that's what explains our sense of passage, our sense of directionality, your objection is going to be something like, no, because the trouble is that by itself can't explain anything. Okay, not because there's some, not because there's some different explanation of these particular features of our experience, but just because this by itself doesn't meet the preconditions of any explanation of. Right. Anything. I, I mean, but then somebody's going. But, yeah, but, go but good. But then somebody's going to say, fine, add whatever other preconditions you want. Um, are you disagreeing? that the, these correlations we've dug out of the mentaculus, okay, are crucial features of, of the scientific understanding of our experience of passage, of our experience of causal asymmetry stuff. That's what I'm not clear what you're going to say. Oh, the crucial... Uh, the existence of some 
temporal asymmetries. Yeah. Of course, that's a crucial aspect. Uh, let, let me, not let me, if, it's not as if I think you could have the experience let, let me without press, there being any temporal. Let me let me press the, let, let me press the question one step further. Yeah. Okay. Somebody says, "Fine, there are other preconditions of any explanation at all." Okay. Just like oxygen is a precondition of the existence of Hitler. Okay. But somebody says, "Look, if you're agreeing that all the correlations are in the mentaculus, okay, you're going to be saying that in any focused discussion, which already takes it for granted that the preconditions of the whole project of explanation are already met, okay. So we're in some discussion where everybody's taking it for granted that there's oxygen in the atmosphere. We're in some discussion where everybody's taking it for granted that whatever the preconditions of the whole scientific project are, are met, okay. Yeah. And we're having a focused discussion. What is it that accounts in particular for our experience of passage? Okay. What is it that accounts in particular for our sense of causal asymmetry? Yeah. Stuff like that. Now it sounds like we're not going to be disagreeing about that. It we're both going to say, oh, once these basic conditions are met, the place to look is in what, what kind of conditionalizations you have to do on the mentaculus. How to dig out the correlational structure from the mentaculus. It's not, if, if you, for me, calling the past hypothesis past, Word past. Right. It's not just a condition at some time or other. Right, right. It's to the past of us. I understand. And therefore, <laughs> deriving things yeah. from it yeah. together with the laws yeah. is an instance of what I think is an archetypal mechanical explanation, in my sense of mechanical, I, I in agree. which the backward directed. And the backward directed analog. I mean, I don't agree, but I understand. The backward directed, <laughs> temporally backward right. directed analog would not be a mechanical explanation I, of anything. I, I understand. So, if, but you just said, now yeah. we all agree all the conditions for explanation are met. Yeah. I think that's one of the conditions. Okay, so now you've granted me everything I wanted. Now you say we're not arguing about it. Sure, fine. Because you granted it. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> okay, we're running over. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. This is, I, this is, let's see, I hope this session, this particular session wasn't a complete waste. That is, I have the impression that we're a little clearer than we were at the, at the end of the last session, or, or I hope that's true. Um, I don't know. I know that Shelley didn't have anything for people to read. And he told me what he was going to talk about, but I can't remember exactly. What he, he didn't ask you. Okay. He didn't, he didn't he say there was anything. He was going to give me to me to post on the website. So, so you don't have to worry about it.